You're listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Wednesday, the 21st of February 2024. Later, we'll speak with Justin Smirk from Westpac on the day's uh, data from the ABS talking about wages. But first, we will start with Westpac, where its CEO, Brad Banducci, has unexpectedly resigned amid greater scrutiny about grocery prices. It comes as the company posted a $781 million net loss for the half year, but that follows previously flagged write-downs of its New Zealand business. So group earnings before interest and tax rose 3.3% to $1.7 billion, and sales at its Australian food business, which includes its supermarkets, lifted 5.4% to $25.9 billion. How much of that was volumes? How much was higher prices? I spoke with Mark Gardner, MPC Markets Analyst, and first asked him, though, if Brad Banducci's resignation came as a surprise. Well, according to Woolworths, it was completely unaffected by the recent interview where he uh, stormed out, but... um, and they said that they would. Uh, they were looking at um, for a new CEO, describing it as an extensive search by external consultants, um, and then obviously with an internal um, internal appointment as well. It does seem a bit rushed. It did surprise me somewhat, um, although the company themselves realistically not um, you know not really admitting that in uh, in their in their release. Of course, it comes um, ahead of this uh, inquiry into um, higher prices or price gouging, right? What do you make of the new incoming CEO, Amanda Bardwell, as his replacement? Because it also means another female heading up an ASX-listed company, but in in interesting times. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got about 20 of the ASX 200 um, CEOs of female, um, many of them running super high-profile companies like Macquarie Bank, Zero, et cetera. Um, it is a little bit disappointing that a lot of these female CEOs are appointed um, in the wake of a, of a company screw-up or disaster or PR disaster, the likes of Qantas, um, Zero's share price was suffering, Magellan as well, um, and Woolworths is just another example. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see there's more representation because it's, it's far too low in the, um, you know, in the broader scheme of things. Now, um, the CEO resignation has overshadowed the company's half-year results, but can we focus on the Australian supermarkets food business? Because it, it by far is the biggest proportion of sales, sales up mm. 5.4% in the half. But this 5.4% increase, is this volume or from higher prices? Well, having a look through the 48-page investor report, there's only four mentions of the word profit margin or margin, basically. So it's not they're not very forthcoming with their profit margins within it. Um, look, and so it's really hard to determine the exact numbers. Although total sales have increased by five point two percent, while their profits increased by eight point two percent. So that looks to me to be increases in margin. Um, it could it could very well be um, the higher margin section from the online sales, um, which Amanda Bardwell is is currently in charge of. Um, but yeah, it it really does look like an increased profit margins to me. So Woolly shares took a big hit today. So too did other retailers like Coles, though. Why? Mm. Um, partly the outlook. Um, obviously, they're you know we've had uh, fairly increasing con- um, retail sales numbers for quite some time now. The last two have been um, a little bit weaker than expected, but um, 
Look, it's, I think it's also to do with the looming um, inquiries uh, and inevitable government inquiries that are coming about the, you know, Woolies and Coles, squeezing suppliers, price gouging, um, and that's going to, that, that really bad rhetoric is going to be a significant headwind probably for the next six to 12 months. I mean, whilst they claim there's a lot of competition in the market, um, you know, it's, it's things like um, shelf placement is used against suppliers and things like that when they're negotiating. So I, overall, I think that, you know, those sorts of stocks are going to, you know, they're going to have a lot of headwinds and they're going to be in the papers for the wrong reasons um, and on the news for the wrong reasons for the next 12 months. And coupled with that as well, they're historically high valuations. They normally trade, um, you know, around under a 20 price to earnings ratio and they're currently um, well above those. And, and essentially that's um, a bit of a legacy from zero interest rates, but now you can get really good fixed income returns. You know, they're, they, they needed to come back anyway. So it doesn't surprise us in the slightest that those two companies have started to pull back a little bit. The broader market, the ASX 200, off about 0.7% today. What's driving it? I know the Commonwealth Bank is trading ex-dividend today, but how much does it also have to do with that lower iron ore price overnight? Yeah, that lower iron ore price um, is, a, is a very big contributing factor. I mean, BHP, Fortescue and Rio are 15% of the index um, or slightly more. So and they're off around about the two on a two to three percent mark today. Um, there has been some recovery in the afternoon session in the iron ore price. So, um, but I think yeah, overall it it is definitely uh, that that return from the lunar new year um, in China has seen the the price drop up about well, probably around about the eight percent mark over the last few days. Um, and there were fairly underwhelming um, results from uh, from BHP. Uh, Rio's reporting earnings results tonight in the European session. Profit reporting season continues. As you mentioned, we'll have Rio tonight, but which other ones caught your attention today? Um, today, look, NAB was one of the ones that caught my attention. It was up slightly today. Um, there's a there's a sort of an alarming pattern starting to unfold from the big banks. We saw with CBA an increase in um, you know loan stress and um, and loans in arrears. We also saw the same pattern with the smaller um, SME bank judo holdings as well, um, and and as well with NAB. So that's pretty alarming, um, and it's sort of starting to show that Australians are running out of that you know extra money they had in their offsets, etc., and that and those savings. So, but also the Lottery Corp, which was the Tab Corp spinoff, uh, did quite well. Solid profits from decent jackpots. Um, Australia's biggest tech company, uh, ASX-listed tech company, WiseTech, um, shot the lights out. It was up 10% um, after, I think, about a 5%, uh, beating expectations by about 5%. Um, and corporate travel was the laggard um, after disappointing results for business travel there. But they had a pretty rosy outlook, but the market took it pretty badly, down 20-odd percent. Finally, um, in this environment, then, where do you see the opportunities for investors? Look, we've had a really good string this earnings season of the quality retailers doing very well. I think that's probably the last gasp um, improvement for those. We, we are likely to head into, you know, with, with rates being high for longer, we are likely to head into an economic downturn probably in Q3, Q4 this year. So we, we're sort of looking in the more non-cyclical areas of healthcare, for instance. Um, also, I think with the Bureau of Meteorology's poor call on El Nino, um, there's a lot of opportunities in the agricultural stocks as well because we've had sustained rain um, out west of New South Wales and Queensland, um, and a lot of the cropping areas haven't really had that much flooding. So 
the, they've reported fairly poorly on the six months results up to December, but at that stage we still had an El Nino call. So I think there'd be a lot of opportunities there because I think um, in, in talking to quite a few farmers, um, they're having you know very they're expecting very high yields for their crops and then enough moisture for a winter crop. So they're the sectors you know things that things that we need rather than we want you know food and healthcare. It's Mark Gardner there from MPC Markets. Uh, from the markets, let's go to wages, where the Bureau of Statistics says the wage price index rose 4.2% annually. It means that wages is now higher than inflation. So what does it mean for interest rates? For more, I spoke with Justin Smirk, a senior economist at Westpac. Justin, wages are now finally above inflation. Is this a good or a bad thing? And what does it mean about the cost of living? So on the concept of what's happening in the household sectors and the pressures that we've been under, it is a good thing to see wages finally growing faster than inflation. It's a bit dispersed between some people getting more, some people getting less. But overall, it is helping the idea that we are seeing some relief on this cost of living pressure and that it will be supportive of consumption going forward. Of course, the question mark then does remain, is this higher wage cost going to lead to further inflation? What's driving it? Um, at the moment, what's driving it? So in the past, in early stages of the recovery in wages, it has been driven by um, informal bargaining sectors. So people, you know, in, particularly in the service sectors, where there was tight labour markets bargaining up wages. We then saw um, the big lift in the minimum wage and the awards come through last quarter. This quarter, what we're seeing is the delay of all those enterprise agreements now coming through. So it's the collective bargaining agreements particularly in the sectors that are administrated by the government and in the public sectors as well. So that's where the big sort of driver is coming at the moment. Okay, so at above 4%, though, do you think it's peaked? Uh, we think it's if it's not at its peak, it's so close it's not funny. Um, we are seeing wages moderate in the, in, in the individual bargaining arrangements. So those people who are facing softer labour markets now and, and have to bargain one-on-one with the bosses, their wages are starting to slow. Uh, we don't think you'll get a minimum, while it will still be large, we don't think the minimum wage award increase this year will be as large as it's next year. So that gives us a slowdown. And all these big lumpy enterprise agreements are coming through in the December quarter and we think again through March and June. So we think the first half of this year, if we're not at the peak now, it'll be in the first half of this year and wages inflation will be moderating as we go into the tail end of 24. Do we know if this increase in wages has been accompanied with uh, higher productivity? That's always a good question, and because that's, of course, that's the thing that you'd like to be seeing going on with this bargaining process. Um, but what we do know and what we can see quite clearly is a lot of this loss of productivity that we've been associated with was that big surge in population growth that we saw through 2003. Now, we know that is slowing. It's still above average, but we think it's pretty clear that the rate of immigration rate is going to slow through this year. Um, that's going to take the pressure off that sort of productivity story. We also know firms that have been facing these high wage costs and tight labour markets are, are adjusting to that and making productivity gains and investments to try and do more with less workers. So we would argue that the big part of the story of the recovery in the Australian economy through this year and the moderation in inflation is going to come through a recovery in productivity. Let me take you back to that first question to wrap up where we were discussing the impact on inflation, this increase in wages. What do you think? And as a result, what does it mean for interest rates and the Reserve Bank's thinking? 
So at the moment, all the numbers coming in are broadly consistent with what we've been expecting to see. Um, we had expected to see with the decline in hours worked that we've been experiencing through the second half of last year, along with rising underemployment, that that sector, the wage bargaining that's attached to the labour market most tightly, the informal sector, the individual bargaining, has had softer wages. We did think that we're going to get a big um, living, um, minimum wage enterprise uh, awards agreements come through last year. We think that's going to be less. And then we're seeing these enterprise agreements being very lumpy and lagging, which do be a risk. But overall, it's still consistent with the idea that wage inflation is going to moderate. Put over that the idea that we're going to see an improvement in productivity. Um, that means that the pressure on that sector the RBA has been talking about, markets, goods and services, that pressure on that inflationary sector, which is the domestic side, which is the one the RBA targets, is actually going to be easing. So the numbers we're getting today is still consistent with the idea that we can expect inflation to moderate. It already has been and will continue to. It's taking the pressure off the domestic inflation resources, and that's, that still leaves the door open for the RBA to cut rates this year. We're thinking September. That's Justin Smirk there, Senior Economist at Westpac. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.